Hi, this is Jamie Marconette, Senior Director, Music Insights and Industry Relations at Luminate. You're listening to the Your Morning Coffee Podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Luminate, the Luminate U.S. year-end music report for 2023 is here. And from Billboard, UMG stock gains on layoff news, Believe shares fall on possible takeover report, and K-pop stocks flop. And from Magnetic, the future of vinyl, Dustin Blocker breaks down the resurgence of analog in a digital world. Well, Jay, I've got papers strewn over my desk here. We have got so much to talk about. We're glad you're here, and we're going to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Thought that'd be an appropriate song to play. It is at least here in the U.S. It is Martin Luther King Day, that great U2 song. It yeah. is good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too. Uh, you know, we talked for almost an hour before we hit record. There's so much going on. Got a little bit of travel. Got some. Uh, well, you uh, you went to that Jim Ursay uh, event, and you were telling me about that. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about that. That sounded like a, a cool night. Yeah. So Jim Ursay, who owns the Indianapolis Colts. He has a 
big massive collection certainly of vintage guitars but also of just other memorabilia and it it moves around to different cities and when it does he also puts on a concert that's free when was the last time you went to a free concert Uh, but it's he's got kind of a a consistent backing band uh, with uh, Kenny Wayne Shepard and Kenny Aronoff or kind of you know basically the guys that are almost the music directors or musical directors and then they've got guest people that come up and sing and they had Ann Wilson from Heart, yeah. uh, Buddy Guy, uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, Kevin Cronin from REO Speedwagon. Uh, uh, it was just great, you know. I mean, again, you're at a free show and fun to watch all those all those uh, artists come up and sing. You know, they usually sing three or four songs, and then uh, it was a fun night. It's been a long time since I've been to a free concert though. It was yeah. down at the Shrine down in here or here in LA. Sure, and uh, you know, fun time, fun That's time great. to say the least. That's yeah. great. Good. So um, we were talking uh, about a couple of things last week, and I just yes, wanted to we bring were. them up again. One of them was the record label crisis written by Patrick Clifton. And uh, next week, um, I'm going to have a conversation with Patrick uh, about that, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll, we'll add that uh, to the next episode. And then also last week, you and I were talking about that story, Andreessen Horowitz's thoughts on AI and, you know, what, what the music industry is sort of up against. And I had the opportunity to ask a couple of really smart uh, music industry attorneys, um, Alexis and Brianna. Uh, they run a, uh, a law firm called Schwartz and Schreiber out of uh, Miami. And they're, they're just really smart about some of these issues when it comes to entertainment, specifically music. And I had a chance to ask them a little bit about AI and fair use. Let's listen in. Thank you both so much for joining us uh, today. We really appreciate it. ChatGPT answers your questions, prompts based on data that it was trained on, you know, from Wikipedia, books, news, scientific journals, whatever. Is, is that fair use? So... I think the question that we need to ask in connection with ChatGBT specifically is what is the end user utilizing that information for? That is the overarching question, because if they're taking that information and they're creating a work and then selling that work that is substantially similar to a work that the ChatGBT system trained itself on, then sure, that could be deemed as copyright infringement. But if ChatGPT is spitting out information that is then being utilized to, you know, comment on something, to criticize, to educate, to research, to report, then that, you know, falls under the fair use doctrine. Well, that tees up the second question perfectly. And that makes a lot of sense. So if an AI model uh, platform is drawing from, let's say, a specific body of work, you know, an artist, you know, John Coltrane's uh, albums and then creating something from that, that doesn't sound like that would be fair use. Right. That's kind of the opposite end where it's, there's something pointed that it's taking from. And, you know, that definitely wouldn't be considered fair use again, depending on the source and the end result of it. We actually thought it was interesting because we'd previously, you know, listened to your podcast and there was an interesting, um, platform that, uh, we saw used called Astral. And that was another one where it was, you know, directly using, you know, your information, your newsletters, your, you know, topics and conversations and podcasts and pulling from those directly to kind of answer questions in the way that, you know, you would. And I think that's definitely something that's a little bit more pointed and not as broad based as something that's fair use or could be considered fair use. 
and, you know, could be something that's considered, you know, prime for licensing and, you know, more direct in that sense. Well, this is a, a fascinating area that's evolving and moving very, very quickly. I'd love to reach out to you in the future as this starts to roll and uh, we learn more about it and we see how people are using this technology. Of course. Yeah, we would love to. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, super interesting. And again, <clears throat> this is going to be something we are going to be talking about for a very long time, certainly all year. All of these things, all of these topics and issues when it relates to AI is just crucial to understand. And it'll be interesting to see how everything kind of sifts down. And uh, yeah. at the moment, though, it's 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 fascinating, first of all. But yeah. you know where it ends up, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, and it's really interesting, uh, and, and it's fun to get um, experts like Alexis and Brianna to sort mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of share their point of view. Um, the other thing this uh, this last week, there was a, a webinar that I attended uh, from Media, and we love the team over at at Media. Um, and it was Midia's uh, 2024 predictions, and they mm -hmm. they titled it "The Algorithm Is Not Listening." And uh, you probably saw the story in your morning coffee, but it was really interesting to hear it from from the team. And it was you know Mark Mulligan and Tatiana Sarasano and Chris Thakra. You know we've had uh, Tati and, and Chris on the podcast. Uh, Hannah Collard, who we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. Tim Mulligan. Mm -hmm. Carol Severin. Anyway, I wanted to sort of touch on a few of the examples of these media predictions. Yeah. So as they said, the algorithm is not listening anymore. They said algorithms shape everything we consume, what we see, what we hear, what we know, and how we understand things. But rather than neutral agents, algorithms are becoming weaponized by their respective platforms to make our consumption drive their strategic objectives rather than simply delivering us what we want. This will create an opportunity for new platforms that use algorithms to actually focus on delivering users what they need rather than what the platform needs. Yeah, they also talked about uh, creation as consumption, and that's been a hot topic lately. Uh, recent years saw the rise of the creator 2024 will herald in the era of the consumer creator with the boundaries between creator and consumer blurring almost to the point of irrelevance. This transformation undercurrent of this paradigm shift will be the shift to creation itself becoming entertainment. That was their second wow. sort of prediction. Yeah. Interesting. And then another one is the forking of music. Uh, creator culture and new royalty regimes will accelerate by forking of music. Uh, UC, UGC platforms will become hubs for long tail creators and fan creation, while pure play streaming platforms will be homes for the establishment and lean back listening. Very interesting. Yeah. Very check out their website for the full report. Um, there's also a video uh, of it. It was it was really good. We're just touching on a few of their predictions, um, but they have a very high uh, success rate when it comes to predictions. I think it's something like 88% or something ridiculous like that. But it was really great seeing our friends uh, from Midia uh, do this webinar presentation. 
Yeah, great stuff, and and definitely worth checking checking out the article. And and by the way, Jay, before we get too far into the store, into the show, I should say, we got to thank our good friends and the sponsors that bring us to the party. Yes, sir. Uh, including our friends over at Banzoogle. For over twenty years, Banzoogle has made it easy to build a stunning website and online music store for your music. Now they've added a brand new EPK plan, so that musicians can create a professional single page electronic press kit in minutes. All the features you need to design an EPK are already built in, including fully customizable templates, preset EPK page layouts, music players, images, text bio and video embeds, a gig calendar and press quotes, and access to Banzoogle's award-winning support team seven days a week. The new EPK plan starts at just $6.95 a month, and your morning coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com to try it for thir- try it free for 30 days, then use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. EPK, all one word, to get 10% off the first year of the new EPK plan subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEEEPK when you sign up to the EPK plan. Yeah, and we're also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by our friend, founder Bruce Houghton, uh, with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. And I gotta say, my friend J.D. Sawyer, who out in Denver, a friend of mine who just started listening to the, to the podcast, he wasn't familiar with bands in town downloaded it immediately saw a john schofield show that was coming to denver (laughs) that he knew he said he didn't see it anywhere else publicized as soon as he downloaded the app on his on his phone he saw that it was coming he got tickets he's like oh my god this is a great app yeah there you go absolutely that's great to hear we're also brought to you by the music business association Uh, The Music Biz Conference creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape the future of our music industry take place. Representing more than 90% of the industry at large, the Music Business Association serves as the connective tissue for the global music business and provides a trusted forum where ideas and collaboration can flourish. So join us for the Music Biz 2024 Conference, May 13th through the 16th in Nashville. Indeed. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Every week, they make it happen for us. We certainly appreciate it. And of course, talk about making it happen. How about my good buddy, Jay Gilbert? He is a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. He is the digital music shaman that I <laughs> listen to all the time. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And, and my, uh, my uh, friend and longtime uh, co-host here um, used to be the uh, co-host for or, or the host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, a storied in, uh, employment history, uh, it is. A checkered but Jay, past. Let's, a checkered <laughs> past, to say the least. Well, let's jump into the stories, Jay. We have so much to cover here, and it's it's uh, we're, it's 2024, in yeah. case you didn't know. And it, man, there's a lot of stuff cooking. That's right. And it's really an embarrassment of riches. The last couple of weeks, pulling together the Your Morning Coffee newsletter has just been it's like therapy. It's really a lot of fun. It's like a treasure hunt every week to sort of see what you're going to find. And it's just been amazing lately. So let's talk about that Luminate US report. And we're going to have Jamie Markinette from Luminate on to kind of break it down for us like he did with the mid-year report. But we're going to look at some things that Billboard has reported. We're going to look at the report itself right now and and also some really great insights from music business worldwide but first i want to just for those that don't know i wanted to talk about what is luminate Um, Mm -hmm. they're really the preeminent entertainment data and insights company across not just music but film tv and and they have data that's compiled from hundreds of verified sources Indeed. And today the company maintains its more than 30 year legacy by powering the iconic Billboard music charts while also acting as the premier database for the television and film industries. Yeah. Luminate works really closely with uh, record labels, artists, studios, production companies, networks, tech companies, and, and a lot more. Indeed. So let's talk about the Luminate Report highlights. Uh, 30 poor, excuse me, it's even better when I say it cleanly. It's all right. uh, an increase of 34% global streaming growth over the previous That's year. That's huge. Huge global on-demand audio streams reached four trillion, the four trillion mark for the first time in a single year. Afrobeats, K-pop, Latin, and country music lead as fastest-growing streaming genres in the U.S. Wow, that's incredible growth over just one year. Also, it, the report uh, points out that the the share of English language music that's consumed it continues to decline. It's down over ten percent globally since 2021. And that's, you know, among the top 10,000 most streamed songs. While shares of Hindi and Japanese language, those continue to grow. Um, The report includes a a really cool genre analysis. Um, And you look at ex-U.S. markets, you know, for the first time, they they put together that analysis for ex-U.S. markets. And, you know, you look at Luminate's new country-level streaming data and you, we're now getting sort of this minutia, this granular data that we didn't get before. Right. You know, I happened to check in with their European presentation, or, or I saw part of it on, on a YouTube video, and they had an interesting thing where they were talking about, let's say, Afrobeat, like that's typically like in, in Africa and, and certain territories, but they were also pointing out where in Europe those those uh, those foreign, what is foreign language to the other territories, tracks are popular. And it's fascinating. Again, we've talked about this a lot to see how these, again, foreign language things that historically you would never assume would be popular in another territory yeah. are in fact very popular and how these these uh, f- you know foreign language tracks travel around to other countries it's just fascinating but okay, yeah. anyway beyond that so overall 2023 metrics so how about this global on-demand audio streaming grew 22.3 percent in 2023 u.s on-demand audio streaming grew 12.7 percent also in 2023 uh, u.s audio streaming sees volume growth acceleration for a second straight year yeah and total catalog music consumption you and i talk about this a lot and we'll go into what 
TEA and SEA mean in a second. But that total catalog music consumption continues to grow. Catalog is something that's 18 months or older, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is much smaller than the 2.4% in SharePoint's catalog grew in 2022. Um, Taylor Swift made up 1.79%, so almost 2% of the entire U.S. market. And so one in every 78 U.S. on-demand audio streams was Taylor Swift. And and how they account for these numbers, they use what's called TEA and SEA. And if you don't know what those things are, TEA stands for Track Equivalent Album. So let's let's talk downloads. So like if you have 10 downloads, you know, that that equals one album sale. But more Mm -hmm. importantly, SEA is streaming equivalent albums. And, you know, the Billboard Top 200 includes two tiers of on-demand audio streams. And these are SEA, that streaming equivalent album. Tier one is paid. Tier two is ad-supported. So on tier one with the paid subscription audio streams, 1,250 streams equal one album unit. The ad-supported, you need more streams, right? They're not as valuable. So those ad-supported audio streams, it takes 3,750 streams to equal one album unit. So that's the TEA and SEA. Right, exactly. Which kind of leads into this next thing. This is from Music Business Worldwide. This is a headline of theirs. 152 million tracks had 1,000 plays or fewer on music streaming services last year. Check this out. Wow. 45 million, that's 45 million tracks, had no plays at all. In a move seemingly influenced by Universal Music Group's artist-centric strategy, starting this year, Spotify will no longer pay royalties to tracks that have less than 1,000 plays in the prior 12 months. So, how many are getting no plays at all? of the 184 million music tracks that Luminate measured on audio streaming services at the close of last year have less than 1,000 plays in the prior 12 months. That is stunning. You know, 45.6 million uh, had no plays at all. And Glenn Peoples, in in his uh, story and in the ledger, he pointed out that not long ago, 45.6 million was the entirety of a streaming right. services licensed catalog, right? And and you mentioned, you know, that they're not receiving, um, some aren't receiving any plays at all. And Glenn points out that uh, our friend Will Page noted that in 2008, when downloads were the configuration, that 80% of digital tracks went unsold. I think that's just stunning. So... That represents 24.8% of the 184 million tracks available on audio streaming platforms. And and when we say tracks, they say ISRCs and ISRC codes, you know, there we'll get into it in a second, but they're the unique identifier for each version of a track. So you may release a single that has eight versions. Well, that's going to have eight ISRC codes to it. Um, Luminate had previously reported that around 38 million tracks received zero plays in 2022. So the figure of you know tracks getting zero plays it rose 20 percent year over year. Wow or almost 8 million. So, however, the number of tracks on streaming platforms also grew last year up 16.5% year over year. 
Wow, 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 wow. And this is where we mentioned the website Forgotify, which is where you can actually go <laughs> right. there and listen to a song that nobody else has ever listened to. Uh, the 184 million audio tracks on streaming services counted by Luminate at the close of 2023 was up by 26 million versus the 158 million tracks that Luminate measured at the close of 2022. So to put it another way, there are around 2.17 million fresh tracks uploaded to streaming services per month last year. And don't forget, this is ISRCs, the International Recording Codes versus songs. So there's a slight difference there. Yeah. Um, uh, And thanks for pointing that out. The the new Luminate report calculates that there was an average of 103,500 new ISRCs tracks delivered to streaming services on average each day last year, which is up almost 11% from 2022 when there was an average of 93,400 tracks delivered each day. So almost 80 million tracks, just over 43% of all tracks available received 10 or fewer plays on audio streaming services in 2023. Wow. Wow. They say this kind of stat helps to explain why audio streaming services have begun to move towards artist-centric style payment models, which typically favor artists with larger numbers of streams and seek to demonetize unpopular tracks that are each only earning small amounts of royalties per year. Yeah, first out of the gate on that artist-centric, you know, which is versus the pro rata model that's in place today, the first out of the gate was Deezer, you know, they're based in Paris, you know, that music streaming service. And in October, Deezer introduced a new payment system in France under which artists who have, you know, a minimum of a thousand streams per month and a minimum of 500 unique uh, monthly listeners received a so-called double boost to royalty payments. Right. So under that system, artists also receive another double boost in their royalty share if they are actively searched for by listeners. So far, Universal Music Group and Warner Music Group have both signed up for Deezer's new payment model in France. And you may recall UMG chairman and CEO Lucien Grange and uh, WMG CEO Robert Kinsel have been among the two most mm. vocal proponents of a change to the streaming payment model. Yeah, that's right. Later, uh, later last year came the real seismic shift. You know, what? That's when granddaddy of all music DSPs, Spotify, announced it was changing its payment model as well. We've been talking a lot about that. In addition to demonetizing with fewer than a thousand streams in the previous 12 months, Spotify's new model, again, launching this quarter, also requires each track to achieve a minimum number of unique listeners to become eligible for royalty payouts. Right. So, so far, Spotify is remaining tight-lipped on what this minimum number of unique listeners is because, it says, it doesn't want to give this information to bad actors. Meanwhile, Spotify says that 99.5% of all streams on its platform currently are of tracks that have at least 1,000 annual streams, and that each of those tracks will earn more under this policy. Yeah, the volume of unstreamed tracks is increasingly a problem for 
for all streaming services. Music Business Worldwide estimates that Spotify's minimum possible annual cost of things like cloud computing services and additional software licensing fees, that that jumped 35 million euros in 2019 to more than 130 million euros in 2022. These are sort of minimal possible costs based on the limited information that Spotify has published. It's likely to be much higher. Right. And that is a big number, isn't it, man? Yeah. When, you, when you basically have to store and serve all of that music, potentially, uh, it starts to really add up. So it's going to be interesting to see if things are, things are certainly changing, Jay. You know, we've, we started talking about these probably two years ago, these, these potential changes and the things that, that some of the major music companies were frustrated with. And, you know, here we are seeing some changes as we head into 2024. Yeah. It's just shocking to me, um, with that report. And we'll break this down with Jamie when he comes on the, the program, because there's so much in this report and that's why we're going to have just a special episode just about the report. Um, yes. But a special shout out to the folks at Luminate, not only for their, you know, for uh, Haley and Jamie, they did that webinar, which was really great uh, this last week, but also the report itself. Yeah, you can download the PDF, but if you go to the website version of it, it's beautifully laid out, animated. It's just gorgeous to look at. You can tell at a glance sort of the trends uh, across yes. the music business. They did just such a great job. Well, and a shout out to all the folks that put together these reports and things like that. They, you know, the data, of course, is is wonderful. But boy, just the presentation and the work that goes into it. I mean, we, you and I have been involved in things like this. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's a beast to get these things out the door. It is. It's a lot more work than people might think. Um, but again, this is sort of a report season. And I, mm -hmm. I love this time of year. You know, when we see some of these reports, this Luminate report is one of my favorites. Sometime in the next month or two, we're going to see, you know, the IFPI, which is the global. We're going to see um, RIAA. You know, we, we saw these predictions from media. It's just, it's report season. And I absolutely love it. And uh, the second story is really based on uh, the newsletter that you and I talk about almost every week, which is Glenn Peoples' The Ledger. It's free. If you don't mm -hmm. subscribe, go subscribe. It's the best. Yes. He has a sort of this index of 20 companies that he follows every week. So you can, at a glance, you can look at this chart and sort of see the trends in the health of the industry. The headline is UMG stock gains on layoff news, right? We, we heard about mm -hmm. these layoffs and we'll go into that in a second. Uh, the company believe sh the, the shares of believe fall on possible takeover report and K-pop stocks flop. So um, again, this is based on the, the ledger newsletter and then the accompanying story. Universal Music Group, UMG, uh, the shares rose 3% last week. Um, at the same time, news broke that the company will lay off hundreds of staffers. And we never like to read that. Um, no. And their, their stock price, um, their share price finished up almost 7% um, uh, last week. The prospect of cost savings made UMG the top performing music stock of the week, beating French music streaming company Deezer, you know, their 6.5% gain and 6% improvements by both uh, Chinese music streamer Tencent Music Entertainment and live entertainment company MSG Entertainment. And you and I talked about this. We saw this with Spotify, you know, when they did layoffs, mm -hmm. their stock price rose. You know, and having been laid off a couple of times, it just sucks. First yeah. of all, it sucks. Yeah. But also, it sucks to see that when they do that, 
their stock goes up. Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, UMG first let investors know it was planning layoffs in its October earnings call. On Friday, a report by Bloomberg said UMG is planning layoffs as early as this quarter, primarily in its recorded music division. Despite no stocks finishing the week with double-digit gains, the 20-company Billboard Global Music Index rose 3.6% to a record of 1,566.45 as 12 companies posted gains and eight companies' share price declined. Streaming companies led the way with an average gain of 3.9%. Live music companies averaged just a little bit uh, below 1%, 0.7 actually improvement. Uh, record labels and publishers dropped an average of 1.5%, and radio companies lost an average of 4%. Mm. The index got a big lift from Spotify's nearly 5% gain to $203.03 share price uh, this week. Spotify has surged 12.4% since it announced layoffs in December, right? December 4th, I think it was, and pledged to operate more efficiently. On Thursday this last week, Spotify closed above $200 share price for the first time since February 1st, 2022. At Friday's closing uh, price, the stock was up 120% uh, in the last uh, 52 weeks. Wow. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. And, and speaking of sort of layoffs, it wasn't just universal. There was a piece in the uh, LA Times that was written by Christy Karras, uh, Sarah Parvini, and J. Clara Chan uh, from the LA Times. And the headline was, Entertainment Companies Face Tidal Wave of Layoffs in Rocky Start to New Year. Um, the new year is off to an ominous start, they said, uh, for the entertainment industry, which is facing heavy layoffs at companies spanning film, TV, music, and gaming. The, the tidal wave of job cuts has affected several major players, including Amazon, Pixar, Discord, and of course, Universal Music Group. Right. So the latest UMG news landed in the wake of other reports of job losses across the entertainment business, perhaps most notably at Amazon. Earlier this week, the tech giant announced plans to let go of several hundred employees working for its streaming platform, Prime Video, and its film and TV arm, Amazon MGM Studios. At the same time, Amazon's live streaming platform, Twitch, which of course is a huge force in the gaming industry, said it planned to lay off about 500 workers or about one third of the staff. So uh, man, that is some grim news as yeah. we headed into 2024. Yeah, we, we hate reading uh, about layoffs. It just, those are real people and real lives that are affected. And for those of us who have been through, you know, either layoffs or downsizing or, or whatever it is, it's... It's hard on, on it everyone. Sucks. Yeah, it really it sucks. It totally sucks. Yeah, so super sad to hear about that stuff. But uh, we'll let you, let's jump over to our last story. It's from Magnetic. The future of vinyl. Dustin Blocker breaks down the resurgence of analog in a digital world. Yeah, this was written by Will Vance over at Magnetic Magazine. Really, really great piece. And it's a, it's a really interesting uh, Q&A. And we've been talking about Dustin Blocker, uh, various stories. You know, he's the VRMA president, um, and he's also the founder of and CCO of Hand Drawn Records and Hand Drawn Pressings. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting interview from someone who really knows the the vinyl market. 
totally. They say the, the, the article starts by saying by 2025, vinyl is projected to hit a 7% annual growth rate with global sales nearing 120 million and a value of uh, uh, basically $3.9 billion. The growth is propelled by hybrid retail pricing and artists' inclination towards vinyl, particularly evident in the increasing Gen Z buyer demographic. Uh, Blocker notes vinyl's transformation from an artifact to a sought-after cultural and auditory significance symbol. <laughs> I love that. Damn, I, that's a great line. Yeah, and you and I talk a lot about how the industry has shifted over the years from uh, from ownership to access, but now sort of mm-hmm. back to ownership. But merch is much more than just you know uh, delivery of the music. You know, it's art. It's it's fandom, it's merch, it's a lot of things. And, and he goes on to say in this, and we'll get into the Q&A in a second, that the future of vinyl depends on technological advancements, cultural relevance, and expanded consumer engagement. And I think we're seeing that. As the industry adapts to meet diverse consumer needs, vinyl records remain emblematic of physical media's resilience. With Blocker's expertise and industry innovation, vinyl is set to survive and flourish, signaling a dynamic and promising future. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, and you and I have talked about this so many times. It's just stunning. It is stunning. We are still talking about vinyl in the in in the numbers that we're talking about. It is just remarkable. And I I didn't see it coming. I never would have predicted this ever. Yeah, and we'll get into it a little bit more deeply as these, you know, year-end reports come out, but you and I were talking recently, you know, with Will Page and he was talking about, you know, uh, the guys that work over at Flatiron and their, you know, pressing plant in Poland and how innovative they've been uh recently. So, this thing is it's not going away. It's a thing. No. So they asked him, considering the resurgence of vinyl, where do you see the vinyl market heading in the next five years? And he says, as an association group, we see the market trend continuing to mature year over year with a segmentation between specialized collectability, which is like custom color blends, box sets, unique packaging, new releases, and reissues driving the market forward in a big way. He said the popularity of catalog titles are also finding a new audience with younger consumers, especially for the 1990s titles that were not initially released in the vinyl record format. Interesting. Uh, Vinyl is a tangible collector's item in an ever-increasingly digital world. And this is evident with the younger demographics making up the bulk of the buying audience. Yeah, amen. The second question they asked uh, of him was, how do you anticipate new technologies will influence vinyl production and playback? And he said, the new technologies in vinyl production do not come in the pressing of vinyl, but rather in the packing and logistics. And automation technology has improved in other similar industries. Vinyl record manufacturers now have more options than ever to expand their traditional hand assembly procedures into automated ones. A human will still need to do the quality control aspect of vinyl manufacturing, but still other stages to pack out full retail ready unit can be completed with much more automation than is currently happening in most pressing plants around the globe. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about that until I read the, read, read this piece because, you know, you got to remember, so when vinyl was kind of really being phased out in the first wave, so you're talking the late 80s, 
Yeah, indeed. So much has happened in terms of just the transportation and logistics and manufacturing efficiencies uh, since then. And it's interesting yeah. to see those related to now this 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 thing that didn't have that those same advance advancements when it kind of went away. Uh, they asked him, "What role will vinyl play in the overall music industry economy by 2028?" And he says, "Industry projections show a steady growth of up to nine percent." And talking about three nine billion dollars uh, meaning vinyl records will continue to make up approximately a little over 11 percent of the music industry's economy currently the united states makes up more than 54 percent of the total global vinyl sales and that trend shows to continue into 2028 projections yeah super interesting you know vinyl record sales are a great way for artists to monetize their recordings, right? If the artist pays $10 per record to the manufacturer and sells them for $20 per unit, they'll make $1,000 on 100 albums. In streaming, that artist would need approximately 250,000 streams to make that profit. Also, mm. most vinyl record sales from artist websites and merchandise sales at live events are not typically reported. So a large area of the music industry economy involves vinyl records that live outside the standardized reporting. And I was talking That's to a friend at Luminate this last week, and she was telling me that you can use things like at venue, you can use things like Shopify to report um, your sales, but a lot of these do go largely uh, unreported. And then another thing that we talk about, and I don't think there's any easy solution to, is that there's so much vinyl that's being bought and sold uh, you know, on the used side, you know, at these stores. Mm -hmm. And I really wish we could track that uh, because yeah. I think we could learn a lot about what's really happening with vinyl and what's really happening with our industry. Right. Uh, and speaking of that, they asked him, in what ways might the demographic of vinyl collectors change in the next few years? Uh, he said the largest demographic of vinyl collectors is the 19 to 35 years, year old range, of which about 44% in the U.S. and U.K. and 51% in Germany. Uh, and trends point to an even younger audience. We're talking 16 to 18 year olds taking over the lion's share of the market in coming years. He said also the younger generation, we're talking 15 to 18 year olds, are tied to some of the bigger vinyl hashtag trends within TikTok. We're talking hashtag vinyl records has over 1.7 billion views. Hashtag vinyl has over 8 0.7 billion views and vinyl hashtag vinyl collection uh, over 1 billion views making a clear indicator of the worldwide fascination with vinyl within the social space oh, man that that's encouraging too you know especially the that younger age group that you talked about and and finally he asked what will be the biggest factor in sustaining the vinyl market's growth and he said that mass marketing through the world's largest artists, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world and her massive push into vinyl for her current and her back catalog, that significantly increased awareness for the format for the younger generation. But to sustain growth, more and more current artists need to continue their efforts to make the format available to their fans in a meaningful and accessible way. Yeah. Well, it is 2024. We are still talking about vinyl. It ain't going away. It ain't going away. And we tried to push it out the door back in the late 80s, and it just refused to die. And it's still such an interesting 
uh, story for the 21st century. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to mention, another thing that was hot in the news this week was that it was announced that there's a new vinyl sales chart. It's a, basically a mm-hmm. collaboration with the Indie Coalitions, Hit, Hits Magazine, uh, Street Pulse, and and Record Store Day. So we'll be learning more about that as we move forward as well. But it, it is really fun to watch the the success and the growth of, of vinyl. Yes. Yes, it is. And on that note, Jay, we need to wrap up the show. We want to thank um, certainly our sponsors for, for helping us put the show together. Uh, Jay and I do not take them for granted at all. And we are super fortunate. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. And of course, you, the listener, Jay and I, do not take that for granted either. If you enjoy the show, please tell just one friend. We would certainly appreciate that. And on behalf of Jay Gilbert, the 13th hardest working man in show business, and me, the 1,013th hardest working man in show business, we say thanks. And we'll be back next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.